Calvary Chapel Reading, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our senior pastor, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study, designed to help us grow in the Word. Well, we're privileged once again to study the Word of God together this morning, so if you remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and if you'll follow along as I read our text for this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, beginning now in verse 21. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and our time together in it this morning. You may be seated. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be in the book of James, and this is just something that the Lord put on my heart because I think it's such a huge issue uh, in the church in this country today. But let me begin with uh, this. There was a Middle Eastern nomad who was traveling across the desert. It was getting late, and so he decided he needed to stop and put up his tent. By the time he got his tent set up, it it was dark, and so he made himself comfortable inside the tent, lit his lamp, pulled out a bag of figs, which is all that he had for dinner. And his first bite was anything but tasty. In fact, he almost gagged because of the awful taste in his mouth, and he looked at the date, and he found in it a big worm. So he tossed it aside, cut open the next date, found another worm, repeated the process a third, fourth, and fifth time, and realizing that at this rate he was going to be out of dates before long and he was very hungry, the desperate nomad did this. He blew out his lamp, and then in the darkness he chomped down on the remaining dates so he wouldn't know if they were worm-infested or not. You say, well, what is the point? Well, I am very alarmed by the number of Christians who, like that nomad, are in the dark without the lamp of discernment, just gulping down whatever they are fed, spiritually speaking, never knowing and never caring whether it's worm-infested or not. There is a great lack of discernment in the church today. In fact, I think it's safe to say a majority of people in churches are reading books, watching Christian TV programs and listening to radio, podcasts, and CDs with little or no discernment. And they are gulping down whatever is said, totally unaware that much of it is worm-infested. I mean, many people in the church today have the tendency to believe anyone who stands up and claims to speak for God. Consequently, they accept almost anything as biblical. And as a result, the church is in a severe state of confusion. As one man said, today's church is like the religious leaders of Jesus' day 
who could tell the difference between superficial things like pleasant and stormy weather, but not between truth and error. And loved ones, we we cannot be so gullible as to believe that everyone who claims to be in Christ and to speak on behalf of Christ is in fact speaking the truth. But many in the church today are that gullible. And this should never be. Why? Well, because we've been warned again and again and again in the Scriptures. The Bible warns us of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, destructive heresies, fables, perverse teachings, commandments of men, speculations, false knowledge, vain philosophy, traditions of men, and worldly wisdom. And it says that these are all pitfalls for Christians. Yet despite all the biblical warnings, there is today an utter lack of spiritual discernment in the church. And perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't agree with that. Well, how else can we explain the continued popularity of false teachers like Joel Osteen, Todd White, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, and locally Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton? How can we explain the massive popularity of books like The Shack or Sarah Young's Jesus Calling? How, how else can we explain the rise in uh, popularity of progressive Christianity, which is not Christianity at all, and the popularity of those who promote it like Jen Hatmaker, Richard Rohr, Nadia Bowles-Weber, Pete Enns, just to name a few? How else can we explain uh, the nation's largest denomination accepting critical race theory and intersectionality as helpful tools? How can we explain many other churches and celebrity pastors accepting critical race theory, intersectionality, forsaking the gospel for social injustice? I'll tell you how. There's a lack of discernment in the church today. To be able to distinguish truth from error is essential. In fact, it's one of the basics of Christian living, yet many professed Christians today are unable to do so. I mean, real discernment is now largely absent from most segments of the evangelical church. But the Apostle Paul in this text says you better examine everything and you better examine it carefully and you better find out what is good and hold on to it and then get rid of what is not. And so that we can understand the context of our passage, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 22, Paul is beginning to wind down the letter, and he he is addressing the issue of life in the church. In verses 12 to 15, he's been speaking about relationships within the church. And then in verse 16, he began listing some of the basics of Christian living. He said that we're to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to not quench the spirit or despise prophecies or the scriptures. And then he gets to verses 21 and 22, and he instructs us to test everything carefully so that we can discern what is good and evil. So let's take a look at at verses 21 and 22. Look Look, if you will, first of all, at verse 21. 
Paul says, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Test everything, he says. The Greek word translated here, test, is often used to refer to something being tested to see if it's genuine. And this word was sometimes used of testing metals to see if they were genuine and pure. So Paul is saying that we're to test everything to see if it's genuine. In other words, we are to distinguish between what is true and false, what is right and wrong, and what is good and bad. We're to be like King David who was able to discern 2 Samuel 14, 17 says, good from evil. And this testing that Paul speaks of is in the present tense, which means this is not just to be a a one-time thing. Rather, it's to be a rule and continuing practice in the life of believers. We are to evaluate. We are, are to examine and judge continually. We are to test everything, and that means everything, all things. That means no exceptions. It includes every issue and idea that might confront believers, everything that affects our Christian life. And though it primarily refers to things presented as being from God, we are to test continually and carefully examine everything that we are asked to accept as being from God. Well, why is that? Well, because in every age, there have been deceivers and false teachers that have come into the church. Jesus said that wolves would come in sheep's clothing. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul wrote to Timothy and said that in the last days, perilous times will come and that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul also said some will be led astray by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Peter warned in 2 Peter chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. So we're not simply just to accept everything someone may say because false teachers and false teaching abounds. It has from the beginning of the church. It, 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 it exists today and it seems to be increasing exponentially and it will the closer we get to the return of Christ. And so this is a call to examine all preaching and teaching Just because someone claims to be a preacher of the gospel does not, by any stretch of the imagination, mean they truly are. Just because someone opens the Bible and preaches doesn't mean that the message is truly biblical. I mean, there is far too much twisting of Scripture and and abusing of the Bible because of one's personal agenda or their personal biases. There is a lot of false teaching today being promoted by some very smooth teachers and preachers. And with some of these people, the problem is not so much what they say. The problem is what they don't say. And so every Christian has a responsibility to be discerning when it comes to spiritual matters. And we can. And we'll talk about that a little later. 
But as believers, we're not to be gullible. No, rather, Paul says, we're to test everything. What we hear, what we read, everything. And then once we've tested something, what does Paul say? Well, look back at verse 21. But test everything, and then what? Hold fast what is good. Hold fast what is good. And the phrase hold fast means to embrace, to embrace wholeheartedly, to take possession of. And the word good means what is in itself good, genuine, and true. Not not just fair to look at, not just lovely and beautiful appearing, but what is inherently genuine, true, noble, right, and good. And according to Paul, when you find what is good, what are you to do with it? What does he say? Hold fast to it. You're to embrace it. You're to hold on to it and and make it your own. And then in verse 22, look what he says. Hold fast to what is good and then abstain from every form of evil. And the word abstain is a very strong word. And it means to hold oneself away from. It means to shun. And it emphasizes the believer completely avoiding any evil teaching or behavior. In other words, we're to shun it, we're to run from it. It emphasizes the complete separation of the believer from what is evil. And so when you see or hear something evil, you're to shun it. I mean, nowhere, nowhere does the Word of God permit believers to expose themselves to the influences of what is false or evil. Instead, we are to abstain from such things and, and avoid them at all costs. And this word evil refers to something that is actively harmful or malignant. It it would include lies and distortions of the truth as well as moral perversions. You see, God considers any distortion of his word, whether it is adding to it or taking away from it or twisting it in any way, God considers any distortion of his word as evil. And so false teaching is not just an insignificant matter. God considers it evil. Evil. One man said the worst forms of wickedness consist of perversions of the truth, spiritual lies. Although today many look upon these forms with indifference and regard them rather harmless. And that's true. And the worst form of wickedness is the perversion of the truth of God's word. Why? Because it can lead to the damnation of people. It leads people astray. These are are eternal issues. And I think that the church in this country, uh, because we have bought into the the tolerance of society, uh, the church is is almost afraid to speak out to speak up when it comes to the truth, because there is truth. The Word of God is true. And there are some things that are sin. There are some things that are wrong. There are those who are false teachers. And they're to be recognized and exposed. And so Paul says abstain, stay clear away from every form of evil and every distortion of the truth. And the word form here means kind, sort, species, or shape. He's saying evil in any form, evil in any shape, evil of any sort, of of any kind. Once you've discerned it, shun it. And yes, that includes moral conduct, moral perversion. But the heart of what Paul is saying here has to do primarily with the perverting of the truth of God's word. 
And so Paul's exhortation here is a general call for believers to discern truth from error, good from evil, righteousness from sin, and it's a command to avoid and shun any of the false teachings, influences, or behaviors that would displease God. And so what we have here in verses 21 and 22 is primarily a call for believers to exercise spiritual discernment, which is what I want to speak to you about this morning. Because as I've already said, I'm very concerned about the great lack of discernment in the church. The undiscerning contemporary church, for example, has often rejected Darwin and Huxley, but accepted Freud. It has often rejected doctrine and favored and embraced relationships as if they were the priority. It has become fascinated with entertainment and bored with exposition has been enamored with feelings and lowered the value of thinking clearly. As a result, evangelical Christianity, he said, is fighting for its very life, and our time cries out for people with discernment. And there have been times in the history of the church when Christians were discerning, when they were encouraged to think biblically, think theologically, to search the scriptures thoroughly, to test everything, discern the truth carefully, and then take a stand for that truth, but not today. I mean, today, to take a firm stand for the truth of Scripture in, in our society, I mean, that's, that is intolerable. It's just intolerable. And unfortunately, it's that way in much of the professing church as well. Well, if we're going to talk about discernment, we should first of all define it. So what is biblical discernment? And biblical discernment doesn't just happen. Just because you've been a Christian for X amount of years does not mean that you have biblical discernment. You could be a Christian for 50 years and not be discerning. You could still be a spiritual baby tossed to and fro by, by the wind and, and, or every wind of doctrine. So it, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't come with, with age, so to speak. So, but, so what is biblical discernment? Well, in its simplest definition, discernment is the skill of separating truth from error, right from wrong, good from bad, and even better from best. One man, Tim Challies, defined discernment this way. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. It is a task in which we attempt to see things as God sees them. People who are discerning have a heightened ability to see and understand issues from God's perspective. Empowered by His Spirit, they strive for and are given understanding of what is pleasing to God and what is not. They do this by understanding God through His Word, the Bible, and by applying the wisdom of the Bible to their lives. All the while, it is God who gives the motivation, the desire, the ability, and the power to both know and discern. And so discernment, then, is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with with the ability to think biblically, to see and understand things from God's perspective, as opposed to thinking and understanding and viewing everything through opinions and feelings and emotions. The verses we're looking at this morning teach that it is the responsibility of every Christian to be discerning. 
The Apostle John issued a similar warning when he said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, loved ones, for, for the believer, according to the New Testament, discernment is not optional. No, it's required. And the key to living an uncompromising life is found in our ability to exercise discernment in every area of life. I mean, for example, if we fail to distinguish biblical truth from error, then we will be subject to all kinds of false teaching. False teaching then leads to unbiblical thinking, which results in unfruitful and disobedient living. The failure to exercise discernment is a sure recipe for compromise. And unfortunately, discernment is an area where most Christians are sadly lacking. Most Christians today show little ability to measure what what they're taught against the infallible standard of God's Word. And if that wasn't true, we wouldn't have all of these false teachers. We wouldn't have all of them increasing in popularity. We wouldn't have professed Christians in evangelical churches handing out books by false teachers. And so uh, because of an inability to measure what they're taught against the infallible standard of God's word, people unwittingly engage in unbiblical decision-making and behavior. In other words, they're not able to to take a decisive biblical stand against the flood of unbiblical thinking and attitudes that they're confronted with every day and throughout their day. Well, why is there such a lack of discernment in the church today? Well, there's probably a, a good number of reasons. Let me just give you a few. Number one, internal influences. In other words, the the sinful desires of our own unredeemed flesh. Number two, spiritual influences. In other words, satanic deception. Because the devil is doing everything that he can do to confound and confuse us and to bring confusion into the church. Number three, cultural influences. I mean, we are inundated with worldly influences that seek to overpower us and undermine us. Number four, another reason for a lack of discernment is an unwillingness to be absolute or or black and white. I alluded to this a moment ago. It's an unwillingness to say uh, there is right and there is wrong and there is true and there is false and there is good and there is bad. I mean, today, worldly thinking where everything is gray pollutes the minds of, of many people in churches so nothing is black and white, nothing is right and wrong. You know, uh, your truth is not my truth, my truth is not your truth, and truth then becomes whatever an individual determines that it might be for them on that day. And so that's why we hear people saying things like, well, that's what it means to you, but that's not what it means to me. Well, no, the Bible means exactly what it says. Uh, Those words have meaning. And we're to discover the, uh, the author's original intent, and that's what it says, and that's exactly what it means. And it might, may, there might be different applications of that truth, but there is one truth there. So your truth isn't different from someone else's truth. There's truth. Genuine Christianity is absolute. 
The word of God is truth. The word of God is absolute. Everything in scripture is absolute. It's black and white. And this, of course, rubs people in in this tolerant society the wrong way. They don't like it. They don't like it when truth is presented as it is, black and white, because it convicts them of their sin. It shows to them their unrighteousness and the righteousness of Christ and what he demands of them. Number five, another reason for the lack of discernment is a desire for the world's approval. You see, too many uh, people in the professed church today would have us to believe that if we're going to win the world, then they've got to like us. They've got to like the church because if they like us, then they're going to like our Jesus. And so the key is to be popular with the world because that's the key to evangelism. Well, that's hogwash. The key to evangelism is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the world's approval is now much more important than the word of God. And so the church accommodates the unbelieving world in everything it does trying to win their approval. But you see, loved ones, we're not supposed to be preoccupied with being accepted and liked by the world. Not at all. But have we forgotten what they did to Jesus? I mean, he was love incarnate. Do we expect to be treated better than him? Because he was despised and rejected and crucified by the world. But yet somehow people today think the world is supposed to love us. No, we're going to be hated, Jesus said. They hated him, they're going to hate us. I mean, we're to speak the truth in love. We are to be gracious and loving but we cannot, under any circumstances, compromise the truth of God's word. Number six, another reason for the lack of discernment is that many Christians today have a very low view of Scripture and the power and uniqueness of the word of God. You see, we can only judge between truth and error and right and wrong when we know what God says to be true, and we can only know this from the Scripture. Number seven, another reason for the lack of discernment is that many Christians today have a very low view of theology. The word theology literally means the study of God. And surely no Christian can deny we're called by God to learn more about him and study his ways. Aren't we to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, of course we are. Yet many Christians today have separated theology from practice, knowledge of God from their practice of serving him. And it's almost as if some Christians take pride in their ignorance, claiming that they don't want theology, they just want to love Jesus. That's a very foolish thing to say. And these people tend to build their faith upon feelings and experiences rather than upon the truths of God's word. Number eight, another reason for the lack of discernment in the church today is that many Christians have a low view of God. Many Christians have increasingly bought into the world's understanding of a God who is this grandfatherly old gentleman who winks at sin, he's he's fun, and he exists solely for our benefit and blessing and our pleasure and our happiness. So the low view of God that pervades our culture has influenced the church. I mean, we we have too low a view of God and especially of God's holiness. 
But you see, God's holiness lies at the very heart of the need for discernment. Because the greater our understanding of the holiness of God, the greater will be our understanding of the importance of discerning truth from error. Number nine, another reason, and one that uh, perhaps is a direct result of having a low view of Scripture, a low view of theology, and a low view of God, is spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. Now, there are so many people in the church today with a very superficial knowledge of God's Word. And, that, and that's such a shame, because we live in a day and age when we have so much good information at our fingertips. Different Bible translations. Uh, Greek and Hebrew interlinears. I mean, good commentaries, books written by godly men to help us understand the Bible. So we have all kinds of Bible translations and helps, and yet biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high in the church today. And as a result, so many people today in churches are spiritually immature. They have a very superficial knowledge of the Word of God. And they may have been in the church for years, but they've never applied themselves when it comes to reading and studying the Word for themselves. I mean, they're not regular in church, so they're not sitting under the exposition of God's Word on a regular basis. Consequently, they're very immature, they're baby Christians, and, and those who are spiritually immature lack spiritual discernment because the two go hand in hand. The spiritually immature are those who listen to this guy, and oh, boy, that, that was, that's right, that was really good. And then they listen to this other guy, and oh, man, he's right too. And then they listen to this other guy, and oh, man, that's so good. But see, you see, the problem is they just believe whatever they hear from the latest celebrity preacher, and so they're all over the map, spiritually speaking, not really knowing what they believe. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And there Paul says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So he's telling us we're no longer to be children. He's speaking of being spiritual children because children are tossed here and there. They're carried about by every wind of doctrine. And the spiritually immature become victims. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't know good, solid preaching from bad preaching. They don't know what's right from what's wrong, And so, doctrinally speaking. So they're easily deceived and they're just blown all over the place. They're like the toddler crawling on, on the floor and those of you who have toddlers, you understand. We've all had toddlers in the past, most of us. But they're like the toddler crawling on the floor who puts anything and everything it finds in its mouth because it has no discernment. It doesn't know what's good or what isn't good. But children need to learn the, the, to differentiate between what will hurt them and what will make them healthy. And eventually, as children grow and, and mature, uh, they'll learn what is truly good for them and, and what is not. They, they learn to discern these things. Well, in the same way, mature Christians have learned to differentiate between what is pleasing to God and, and what is not, between what is consistent with Scripture and what is not. 
And the Bible places great emphasis on spiritual maturity because like children, immature believers are, are prone to sample anything. I mean, they're, they're attracted to what looks good to their untrained eye. And only as they grow and mature are they able to differentiate between what pleases God and what doesn't, between what will hurt them and what will make them spiritually healthy and strong. And unfortunately, there's a lot of spiritual immaturity in the church today, along with the lack of discernment. And the writer of Hebrews addressed the spiritual immaturity of his readers. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. The writer says to his readers in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, he's telling them, look, uh, you know, some of you have been here for a while. You, you've heard enough that you should be able to teach by now. But the problem is, looking back at verse 12, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So he's saying, look, you ought to be teachers by now. But instead, I, I, I have to keep giving you milk. I have to keep giving you the basics, the elementary things. You can't take solid food because you're unskilled in the word of righteousness or the word of God. You don't, in other words, he's saying you don't know the word of God. And then verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, sitting under the word of God as it is expounded and understanding the word, taking in solid food, engaging in spiritual conduct, these things train your senses to discern good and evil, what is true from what is false. But spiritually immature Christians can't do that. Because their senses have not been trained to discern these things. I mean, they're like children tossed to and fro, and they're, they're, they're carried about by every wind of doctrine. And spiritual immaturity is rampant in the church. And as a direct result, there is a lack of spiritual discernment. Because again, if you have the one, you will have the other, because the two go hand in hand. Now, some people in the church are very discerning about the food they eat. I mean, and that's a good thing. They want to eat healthier, and they're very discerning about that. Some are very discerning about finances and their investments. They're, they're good at discerning those kind of things. Some are very discerning and careful when it comes to choosing a doctor because they want to find a, a board-certified doctor, someone who knows what they're doing. And those are, these are all good things. Some are very discerning politically speaking. And they can assess the issues of the day. They, they've got it figured out in terms of the government and, and foreign policy. Others analyze things to the nth degree, but they never get around to using their anal analytical faculties in the spirit and in the word of God to discern truth from error and right from wrong and better from best. And because the church is not discerning, the church is being poisoned with a deadly counterfeit that looks like living water. And loved ones, listen, Satan, he isn't going to come into the church, into the pulpit by invitation. I mean, because they're, they're not going to invite him. 
He's not going to move into an evangelical church or onto a Christian television or radio station and and sell his wretched lies and and twisted doctrine openly as Satan. He's He's not going to sell it as being contrary to the truth of God's word. No, he's going to come in like a Trojan horse, a gift. He's going, to be, he's going to be something subtle. He's going to market his lies and deceptions very subtly, deceptively, luring people away from the truth of God into destructive error. And he'll, he'll mix it with some truth. And he'll put it in the mouth of someone who claims to speak for Jesus Christ, someone smooth, someone likable, someone pleasant and energetic and, and dynamic who will attach some Bible verses to it so that it appears biblical. And he'll make it appeal to man's selfishness, man's pride and, and flesh in the name of spiritual blessing. And multitudes then will unwittingly, because they're undiscerning, be like sheep being led to the slaughter. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, this is how it's going to be. He said, expect it. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith because they paid attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons spoken by hypocritical liars. There will be deception. There will be hypocrisy. Peter says the same thing again in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. to 3. We read it earlier. I'll read it again. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Many people in the church today in this country are being devastated by false teaching of false teachers that have been allowed to come into the church and they don't even recognize it. And our only defense is to be sound and strong in the knowledge of the truth. I mean, our only defense is to know the word of God and to be discerning. And God demands, he he expects spiritual maturity from his children, and spiritual maturity is inseparable from discernment. A Christian cannot have one without the other. Well, that raises the question, how do you become a discerning person? Well, first of all, desire. You have to have a desire to be discerning. If, If you don't have a desire to be discerning, you won't be. So that's where it starts. If your only desire is to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, if your only desire is to be satisfied and comfortable, if your only desire is to spread what you believe, what you feel, what you think, and to make sure that your view is heard on everything, you'll never be a discerning person. As one man said, discernment comes out of a desire that's born out of humility that says, I can't know this on my own. I don't have all the answers in me, but I know God wants me to know his truth, and I know he wants me to rightly divide his word, and I know he wants me to be discerning, and I'm going to pursue that. And when out of the humility of our ineptness and the recognition of our own weakness, we say, I long to be discerning, Then he said, we're on the right track. And we have to desire to be discerning. I mean, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. 
If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand. In other words, then you'll get it. And then you'll be able to discern what is truly the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so number one, if you want to be discerning, you must desire to be discerning. Number two is prayer. Here's the balance of depending on the Lord for the process. And you can have all the desire in the world, but you still have to depend upon the Lord. You still have to ask Him. You have to pray for discernment. And there's an illustration of this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, where Solomon prayed to God, and this is what he said. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon says, Lord, I want discernment. And, and what a great request, because otherwise, he says, I can't handle this job. I have to have discernment. And verse 10 of that chapter, it says, And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So God was pleased with the fact that Solomon had asked him for discernment. And so the balance in terms of desire is prayer. We can desire discernment, but we must depend upon the Lord for the process of becoming discerning. discerning. And so like Solomon, we ask for it in prayer. We go to God, we plead with him to give us wisdom, to make us discerning, to teach us discernment. As James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So number one, desire. Number two, prayer. Pray for it. And number three, learn from those who are discerning. And have a humble, teachable heart so that you're able to learn from those who are discerning. You're going to find in your life and in the church some people have the capability to discern. In fact, in the list of spiritual gifts given in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul mentions the gift or the ability of the distinguishing or the discerning of spirits. And there are some people in the church that God gifts with a unique ability to discern. And they're, they're leading the church in distinguishing truth from error. And they, they are the watchmen of the church. And so whenever I want to know about an issue, there are certain authors that I want to read. Because I want to know what they have to say because they help give me insight because they are able to discern certain areas of truth. Because look, false teachers are everywhere today. They're everywhere. But some people in the church are uniquely gifted by God to expose these false teachers, to discern these things, and we should learn from them. Be humble enough to be able to learn from them. And then number four, follow the example of mature believers. Spiritually mature Christians have discernment. They have their senses trained to discern good and evil, it says in Hebrews chapter 5. Ephesians 4 again says, don't be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. I mean, children are utterly undiscerning, but the spiritually mature are discerning. And, you know, you just don't go to sleep one night and say, Lord, make me discerning, and then wake up in the morning and go, whew, man, I'm discerning now. No, it's a process. It's a process. It means you follow the mature and the path of maturity. That he become mature, well, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. You grow into maturity through the word of God and through trials and through testings. And after you've suffered a while, the Lord will perfect you, Peter said. 
And so there's, there's a process. And it takes years of, of godly training for believers to become spiritually mature. And so let me encourage you this morning, loved ones, don't ever be content with where you're at spiritually. Don't ever be content with your, your spiritual growth. Instead, always pursue, always be pursuing spiritual growth and maturity. Number five, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. You know, we must walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the true discerner. The Bible says He discerns even the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, He is the one, the Spirit is the one, Jesus said in John 16, 13, who will lead you into all truth. That's His role, that's His task. He's the true discerner who will lead us into truth. Years ago, a missionary to the American Indians took a newly saved Indian chief to Los Angeles. And this, this was years and years ago. And as they walked down the street, they passed a man on the street corner who was preaching with the Bible in his hand. Well, the missionary knew the man was a member of a cult. But this newly saved uh, Indian only saw the Bible. And so he stopped to listen. And the missionary thought to himself, I hope my friend doesn't get confused. So the missionary began to pray. And in a few minutes, the Indian turned away and, and joined his missionary friend. And so the missionary asked him, well, what did you think of the preacher? And the Indian answered, all the time he was talking, something in my heart kept saying, liar, liar, liar. Well, that something in that new believer's heart was someone. It was the Holy Spirit who guides us into truth and helps us to recognize error. But we have to listen to the Holy Spirit, and then we have to act upon it. And there are, there are people, however, who, like the Indian, know something is wrong, but they ignore it, and they suppress it. Well, I know it's, it's not good teaching. I know that there's some error, but, you know, I, I eat the meat and spit out the bones. Foolish. Or, you know, I really like the music there. They've got good worship, or it's where all my friends are going. It's, it's very relevant. Yeah, I know that, that some of it's really off and in error, but whatever. But as Paul commands here in our text, if it's good, hold fast to it. If it's evil, if it's false, if it's contrary to the Word of God in any way, shape, or form, then avoid it completely. In fact, avoid it like the plague. I mean, why would you expose yourself or your children to false teaching? Why would you want something like that in your house? So as we're filled with the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, walking in obedience to God, dealing with sin in our lives, confessing it, living a pure and holy life, yielding to the control of the Spirit of God through the Word of God, the Spirit of God will work to make us a discerning people. And then number six, last and most importantly, if you want to be discerning, diligently study the Word of God. And you'll never become discerning no matter how much you desire it, pray about it, faithfully follow the lead of a mature and discerning believer, and depend upon the Holy Spirit unless you diligently study the Word of God. And I'm not talking about just reading it, and you should be reading it. I'm talking about studying it. And, and by the way, that's what we do here every Sunday morning. We do in-depth study of God's Word. 
And that's why sitting under the exposition of God's word is so important. But you'll never be discerning, no matter how much you desire it, unless you diligently study the word of God. Because it is in the word of God that we learn the truth. It it is the standard by which we test everything. And so if we don't know the word, then we're not going to be able to discern. If we don't know the word, then we can't make judgments by the word. And instead, you'll make your judgments based upon your own opinion and feelings, and that is not being discerning. To be discerning, you need to know the word of God because that's where you learn the truth and the principles for discernment. And remember, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word to separate truth from error and right from wrong. And so you're not going to be able to do that if you don't know God's word. I mean, discernment flourishes only in an environment of intense, faithful Bible study. I mean, if we're to rightly divide the word of truth, and if we're going to be discerning, then we've got to be very diligent in studying the word of God because there's absolutely no substitute for that. As one man said, discernment intersects the Christian life at every point, and God's word provides us with the needed discernment about every issue of life. And that's so true. I mean, according to Peter, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You see, it is through the knowledge of him that we have been given everything we need to live the Christian life in this dark and fallen world. And how else do we have the knowledge of God except through the pages of his word? And Peter goes on to say this knowledge comes through God giving to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And so it is incumbent upon believers to to seize upon the discernment that God has provided for us in his word. Because without it, without it we're at risk of being tossed to and fro and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I mean, discernment is absolutely indispensable to an uncompromising life. And if you want to be discerning, it requires desire, prayer, example, maturity, the Holy Spirit, diligent study, a knowledge of the Word of God. And what will happen if we take that kind of approach? Well, several things, but for our purpose this morning, it's going to mature us. It's going to honor God. And we will be a discerning church. And so we've looked at what discernment is. In its simplest definition, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word to separate truth from error and right from wrong. We've discussed why there's a lack of discernment in the church, focusing primarily on spiritual immaturity. We've talked about how to become discerning. It requires desire, prayer, maturity, the Holy Spirit, and diligent study. But how do we test all things, as Paul said in verse 2? 21, so that we can hold fast what is good and abstain from what is evil. How, practically speaking, do we do that? Well, Paul doesn't answer that question here in the text. But we can answer it from the teaching of Jesus and his apostles in other places. How do we test all things? The first test is the truth of Scripture. 
like the Bereans in Acts 17, were to examine the scriptures to see if what any Christian teacher says is true. And not only that, is it the whole truth? Or is he leaving part of the passage out? Is he not addressing issues in the passage? Because leaving out the difficult parts, the the confrontational parts, the convicting parts, is to mishandle the Word of God. And that's not rightly dividing the Word of truth, which means it's contrary to God's Word and should be avoided at all costs. I mean, there are many pastors out there today who open up the Bible, read through verses, make a few comments, tell some stories, and never actually deal with what the text says at all. That's not expository preaching. That's not even good preaching. I think it was Alistair Begg that referred to that as a reading, rambling bunch of nothing. The point is we have to test everything against the infallible standard of God's word. And this principle was laid out by Isaiah the prophet back in the Old Testament when he said in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, to the law and to the testimony." If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So we're to reject any teaching or practice that's contrary to the word of God. And loved ones, don't be gullible. Don't buy into everything you you hear on, on, on television or on the radio. Don't buy into everything you read, the latest popular book. Don't be gullible. Be discerning. Measure everything by the Word of God. When I preach and teach on Sundays, I want you to bring your Bible, open up your Bible, follow along, take notes. I want you to be like the Bereans. Do your homework. You know, compare Scripture with Scripture. That's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just take my word for it. But neither do I want you to take someone else's word for it simply because they're a celebrity pastor and have written books and have a big church. Often people think, well, hey, this guy's sold a lot of books. He's got a big church. He attracts crowds. He must be right. Not true. In fact, in this day and age, it could mean the exact opposite. And that is often the case. And so how do we test all things? Number one, we, by comparing it with the standard of God's infallible word. The second test is the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, that is every prophet or every person claiming to speak for God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So someone teaches anything that in any way, shape, or form denies the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, they are teaching what is false and it must be rejected. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, and really every other false religion and cult fail this test. Number three is the test of the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul said, 
I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed or let him be anathema or let him be damned is what he says. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you received, let him be accursed. So Paul says, anybody who perverts the gospel, whether preacher, prophet, apostle, even an angel, by adding to it, taking away from it, twisting it in any way, is to be eternally condemned or damned, Paul said. You mess with the gospel, Paul says, you should be accursed. That's how serious the Bible takes someone perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church in this country doesn't take that seriously anymore. It's serious. It's very serious. If anyone adds to or takes away from the gospel of God's grace in any way, shape, or form, what they say is to be absolutely rejected. And so, for example... United Pentecostals say that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. They're adding something to salvation. That should be totally and completely rejected. The Church of Christ says that water baptism is a necessary part of salvation. That is salvation by works. That must be entirely rejected. I mean, these and, and others like them, they fail the test of the gospel. The number four is the known character of the speaker. When Jesus told us to watch out for false prophets, or when Jesus told us to watch out for false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, uh, but in, but in they are ravenous wolves, he added this, you will know them by their fruits. So just as a tree is identified by its fruits, so a teacher or preacher may be identified by his character and conduct. And so ask yourself, are they after your money? Are they living an opulent lifestyle? Are they living a sensuous lifestyle? And so the tests are the truth of Scripture, the person of Christ, the gospel of God's free and saving grace, and the known character of the speaker. And once these tests have been applied by the discerning believer, once we sift the words, the message, and or the the writings of a preacher or teacher through the word of God, then we will be in a position to determine whether something is good or evil, true or false. And then we're to hold fast to everything that is good or conforms to the word of God and then abstain or avoid completely everything that is contrary to his word. You see, loved ones, the truth of God's word divides. The truth divides. But that's a good thing. The truth of God's word divides. And a believer should never ever compromise his testimony by listening to or being present in any church or religious organization that teaches or endorses teachings or practices that are contrary to the word of God and detrimental to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. Never. And this is what Paul is telling us right here. His exhortation is a general call for believers to discern truth from error. It's a command to shun all false teaching and practices that are contrary to Scripture. And so Paul says, test all things. 
Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In other words, he's saying, loved ones, be discerning. Be discerning. Turn to Philippians 1.9. We'll close with this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. There in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul, writing to this church that he dearly loved, said to them, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And Paul is speaking, obviously he's speaking about love toward others. And and he says, I want your love to abound. You know, I don't want you to be thought of as, as unloving. And of course, I mean, we're not against love. We don't, we don't want to be unloving. I don't want to be unloving. I don't want your love and I want your love and mine to abound more and more. But notice what Paul says. It must abound more and more with what? Knowledge and all discernment. Paul says, I want you to have a greater and greater love. But that love is to be with knowledge and all discernment. It's, so what we're talking about here is not a dumbed-down love that looks for the lowest common denominator to unite around at the expense of truth. No, it's not love at the expense of truth. It's not sloppy agape. It's love based on knowledge, biblical knowledge, and with all discernment, with all spiritual discernment. So love with knowledge and spiritual discernment. This is what Paul wanted to abound more and more in their lives. And then he says, you'll approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 10, then you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Verse 11. And so we want to be loving. But with a love that abounds in biblical godly knowledge and and all spiritual discernment, approving what is excellent. And that means excellent uh, according to God's word. And being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Why? To the glory and the praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. And God is, is honored. God is exalted and glorified when his children, when their love abounds more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That's honoring to God. And so God is calling us to discernment, to be discerning. And so may our love abound more and more, but with knowledge, biblical knowledge, and all discernment. Amen. Let's stand and pray.
On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Chapel Reading Palisadro, we hope and pray this study you just heard will help you grow in the Word. If you have any remaining questions or comments, please call us at 530-547-4400. That's 530-547-4400. Or write to us at P.O. Box 837, Palisadro, California, 96073. You can also email us through the website at ccredding.com. Thank you for listening. And may God richly bless you. Grow.